This is Kevin Evans with the chapter-by-chapter chapter life class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And we are about to uh, wrap up John chapter 7 and begin John chapter 8. And I'm announcing that for the three people that are listening on the internet on the recording that is posted on the church website. I know one of those three people is the pastor because the pastor seems to preach about whatever we study in this class <laughs> the next week. That's amazing. I mean, we went through chapter 7 and we walked right in there and what is he talking about? Chapter 7 is circumcision. Oh my goodness, it was hilarious. The whole balcony is all catching glances at each other because we've done this already. Yeah, that was great. Uh, so... I think so. Yeah, yeah. He, I, I, I promise he's following us. I mean, we're just giving him tips, and that's fine with me. You know, so, Pastor, you know, anything you can take away from this uh, is helpful. I, 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 hope, I hope you use it. Yes. Because he might. Well, we didn't record the plane story. He's going to have to ask Jim about that. All right. So, um, uh, okay, we left off at verse forty-four. And uh, at this point, Christ is uh, uh, celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, and he is teaching in the temple, and he has gotten into a clash uh, with the uh, Pharisees. And uh, most scholars seem to think that John is grouping Christ's argument for his uh, uh, messiahship all kind of together. These are, you know, the highlights of the discussion, you know. And so uh, Christ has been defending himself uh, against the Pharisees who are challenging him. And uh, we're kind of continuing with that. And so John kind of groups all of this argument. Uh, yeah, there you go. You can have the end. Um, and that continues through chapter 8. And it just gets more and more intense and deeper and deeper and deeper as we go into this discourse. So uh, there's a whole lot in here and every little section is packed. And so uh, it may take us a while to get to the end of chapter eight at this point. So um, after, let's see, where do we leave off? Um, he, he's arguing in, in uh, verse 41, others say he is the Christ. Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because, uh, because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one wanted to lay hand on him. So they're questioning Christ's claim to be the Christ. Uh, that was uh, verse 41, and we're about to jump in at verse 45 of chapter 7. And finish chapter 7. And so uh, they're challenging him. And, uh, and, and notice that tensions are rising. They wanted to seize him, but nobody was going to get up and do it first. Because they were all being very polite. And they were in temple. And that would be bad form. You know, you're, you're, he, he, was, he was qualified to speak as a teacher in the temple. And, and you know, you just can't um, get mad because you don't like what he's saying. Verse 45, and this is where we pick up. Uh, finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked him, why didn't you bring him in? And no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. So they had really don't have an excuse. They just came back empty-handed. 
You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law. Aren't they being really mean to the mob? There is a curse on them. And both of those statements aren't true, by the way. Uh, we know at least two Pharisees have believed on him at this point, Joseph and Nicodemus, and possibly more. Uh, he's got sympathizers among the Pharisees. Uh, and then they accuse the, the, the regular people of being too dumb to know what they're, you know, what they're all about. They don't know the law like we do. It's very elitist. And, um, you know, the Jewish society, even at this time, was one of the most well-educated societies of any of their neighbors. You know, uh, they, they knew their scripture a lot better than, you know, any of the pagans knew their own culture. Uh, but they're proclaiming a curse on the mob that supports them. So that big crowd that they're all preaching to and working for a dollar, by the way, are, are, are following Christ, and that's where the threat is because they, they're, they're going to lose power. So John comes in and brings up one of those guys that had, or he's already won over, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and he was one of his number. So, so Nicodemus has been converted. I don't think scripture ever shows when Nicodemus accepted Christ and believed on him. But here, John says that that happened. Uh, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? You know, so aren't you guys being a little unfair? You know, due process and all that. And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Let me translate into English. Stupid redneck. <laughs> That's exactly what that means. What is the problem with Galilee when they think nobody, nothing good comes out of Galilee? I didn't, I never nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Nazareth. It's, not, it's not Galilee. No, it says right here, art thou also from Galilee? Yes. And see, it says, and then it says, out of Galilee arises no prophet. Yeah. So, oh, Bill, Bill, we discussed this. In Nazareth, there was a big Roman camp, and Nazareth is in the mountains, and it's facing Syria. It is a border camp. It is a border town. So we have a bunch of pagan folk on the Syrian side who have settled there. We have a Roman camp full of Roman soldiers there, and then, you know, some Jewish people. So there are all the things that come with a military camp in Nazareth, including uh, wine, women, and song. We'll put it that way. You know, they have a nice red light district, we can assume. And so good proper Jews from Jerusalem turn their nose up at Nazareth the way we turn our nose up at Vegas. Okay? Kind of like Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Yes. And so that's the, but, but Nazareth is in the Galilean region, that's true, but it's up in the hills on the border. Galilee is basically the areas that surrounding the uh, Sea of Galilee, and it's a bunch of fishing towns, and it is extremely rural, and the only thing there are villages, there are no big cities, it is rural. What is, why, why is They're that? country folk. These preachers come out of country folk. <laughs> <laughs> it's West Virginia. Oh, it's the late 
Yeah, yeah. There you go. Thank you. Now that we have insulted half the world on recording. Yeah, that works. Okay. So I apologize to West Virginia and Lake Tuakini if you happen to be from there, the three of you that are listening to this recording. Have you ever watched the show The Ozarks? Yes. Yeah, that. that I, I, I'm sorry, would it incriminate me if I said that, that aloud in church? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't know if I've heard of that show, Kitty. Okay. Okay, and go for it. I kind of wanted to bring that up again. I wanted to read the scripture, how it's worded in my, my Bible. And it says, therefore, Jesus told them, the right of time for me has not yet come. For any time for you is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I have testified what it does is evil. You go to the festival. I am not yet going up to the festival because for me, the right time has not yet come. So he uses the term in my Bible yet several different times. So he's basically saying, hey, y'all go ahead and go up to the festival, but I'm going to hold back a little bit. And also, it also says in Hebrew chapter 6, uh, verse 17, it says, for God is not, God does not lie in any form or fashion. And I'll read exactly how it's worded here. Let me find it real quick. It is impossible for God to lie, starting off at verse 18. So I wanted to point that out. So that kind of answers the question of what you were saying uh, with Jesus lying. Yep, God don't lie. No, he does not okay. lie. That's a good I reference. And actually, the, that translation is probably a little better than the one I read. What translation? This is the NIV. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that Hebrews was from last week. Six, verse 17. Oh, yeah, the, the Hebrews reference. Yeah. Oh, no, it's talking about the Uh, he didn't want to go with the crew to the uh -oh. feast because his brothers would have made a big deal of it. And he, it, the translation sounds like he said one thing and did another, which is not exactly the case. Okay. There's a lot of Edgeborn atheists that like to point out that. Yeah. It's Cooper, which means not yet. Like the Greek word literally means not yet. Yes, which got missed. Which means it's not time yet. So which, that's which, that's Okay, so today we're going to look at chapter eight. Can I bring something up real quick before we start there? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I was reading a commentary this morning. They said that a lot of the script, a lot of the Bibles and, and stuff don't record this particular incident because they feel like it's too legalistic. And I didn't really quite understand. What? No, uh, about the adultery woman, about, about her being called an adultery woman. It's legalistic. I already read that. It's yeah. because it was added later. It's, it's from one of the other Gospels. It has to do with the, the various manuscripts that exist out there. They come from different times and ages. And so that, the, that came from a later script, later manuscripts that are um, younger. And so it, it wasn't in the older texts. It was added in. And that happens sometimes when people become more familiar with the letters or with the other gospels. That sometimes scribes will say, "Oh, this goes. This should go here. This belongs here." So that happens um, a lot. 
and so usually translations will try to go back to the older manuscripts where they have things in common, but they may make note like, hey, younger manuscripts have this story in here. Or, Oh, please. You're like, I'm not saying they were kind to women, but I, I think that's a weak argument. Um, there were only two manuscripts that don't have it, if I'm not mistaken, right? The older ones? Yeah. Well, that's what I've got. I think they're the more reliable ones, though, for this one. I think that's Fair, but I also think dating manuscripts is kind of tricky at best. And but it has to do with the region. The John copied this document, this, 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 as a letter to the churches, and it was widely distributed. And John wrote this at the end of his life, but he was around at least a decade after this was written. I have no problem seeing this as a second edition or something that was added with John's blessing. John himself may have put it in there. You know. Yes, and uh, yes, I did read all of the, it, 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 there's all kinds of commentary online attacking this little passage because of that. Uh, and another thing that it says is that, uh, is that it begins in verse 53 of chapter 7, then each went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And they're saying that since Jesus did not appear in the previous scene, that this was actually a clip that goes in another part of the story somewhere, like it's out of sequence. I don't see that because we're, we're talking about Christ discussing uh, with the Pharisees throughout the whole chapter, and then we have this little segment where we talk about the leader's unbelief, and now he's getting back to the story here, you know, so he is still at the temple. I think that's an odd interpretation. Uh, so I think what we can take away from the first two verses, though, is that that evening everybody went home because all the Pharisees lived there, but this is the Feast of Tabernacles. Christ goes to a booth, we assume, in the Mount of Olives, and that's where he spends the night because it's the Feast of Tabernacles and that everybody's sleeping in a shelter. I want to say tent, but it's not a tent. Okay, so... So that's what that says. So this basically, uh, John is emphasizing that all the Pharisees went home to their nice beds and Christ went to the, to the Mount of Olives. No, I did. I'm sorry, sir. What? Oh, okay. And, and then we go on to the next day. And the next day, he continues this argument with the uh, Pharisees and it gets more and more and more heated. As, as it goes. So, uh, I'm going to read the first section, which is verse 1 through 11. <clears throat> then each went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, bright and early, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Jesus went down and started to write on the ground with his finger. 
When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote in the ground. At this, those who heard again to go away one at a time. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she says. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And then in my NIV Bible, I have this nice big broad line which ends the segment that is in question because, no, it doesn't appear. I wonder which one of those men standing there was the man caught with her. And they didn't bother, you know, they didn't bother to, to, to condemn him. That's just how it is. I think she was set up. Well, I do too, yeah. but still, where is the man? I think the guy was a part of it. Well, I could, I could write this story. But, you know, it is that these are tabernacles. It's not like, you know, you can't see through the wall. So, anyway. Um, I always wonder why they didn't condemn the man, you know? I, I wonder. Well, I think that's obvious. Yeah. Uh, the, the important rich guy doesn't get busted. Come on. No. Never has. I know when I was in, uh, when I was in Saudi Arabia, they used to accuse of wiring. You didn't even have to prove it. You just have to accuse it. That's true. Well, the same thing here. Shahida had to prove nothing. Yeah. He just had to say it. So that's even what? How long ago were you in Saudi Arabia? Two years. Seventeen. Seventeen. Not that long ago. Yeah. And they still. Still do it. Still do it. Well. <laughs> the way you get rid of the wife, you're gonna get a new one. Yeah, all, all, all gender inequalities aside, we we have someone who is guilty, probably guilty of adultery. And uh, what this is presented to the Pharisees is a wonderful little trap. What is the trap? Because they like traps. They wanted to see if he would throw a stone at her. They're all debaters. And so, no, 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 no. They, they want a question that has no correct answer. They want, they want a practical situation where there is no good practical solution. And whatever decision you choose, they're going to attack it because you did the wrong thing. So they never present him with a question that's easy or that ha or is obvious. You know, why would you need that? So the question is... Uh, Does this dress make me look fat? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> this scar here... <laughs> I'd like to know what he was writing in the sand. I, I, I really would like. Uh, I read one. Int okay, well, first the trap. Uh, it is. These are the ones that it's missing from. Okay, thank you. I'll look at that in a second. Uh, so, uh, the law of Moses said that if you catch a woman in adultery, she should be stoned. I think that's Leviticus somewhere. Uh, I didn't look up the verse. Uh, and then uh, the Romans, however, because this is a clash between civil and religious authority. The Romans, however, because they're the conquering country, 
uh, have disallowed the Jews to execute their own people. They can try their own people for religious purposes. They will allow a religious decision, but not, an, not a death sentence. They aren't allowed a death sentence. So the law of Moses said that she must be stoned. But so if he says, yes, stoner, and he's with the law of Moses, then he's in contempt of the Roman court. And if he says, no, she should not be stoned, uh, then and, and show mercy, which is what he's been preaching, uh, then he is in contempt of Moses's law. So they figure they've got him either way. So what do you do when you get caught between a rock and a hard place in a in a question, Mr. Debater? Yet, sir. Fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. I freeze. Yes, freeze. <laughs> freeze. That's a good answer. I like that. I freeze. Uh, I, Christ stalled. I, I, th I think freeze probably fits here, actually. He, 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 he stops listening to them, and he starts riding in the dirt. And I tried to find some kind of historical precedence for this, like, is this something that teachers do when they're mad at you and they, they're ignoring you by riding in the dirt, whatever. Uh, it's not like it's anything permanent. You know, we can use our foot and erase it all. You know, uh, what, what, I couldn't really find any real significance to that. But he doesn't answer them because there's no correct answer. But he's riding in the dirt. Now, one of the greatest joys of any commentator is to try to guess at what Christ was riding. We've spent a whole class in Bible class. I'm sure you did. And not only that, oh, oh there are some good, there, there are some high probabilities, very high probabilities. However, I also found a really uh, sanctimonious little commentary by, I forget who it was, and they said that we are just really uh, being too full of ourselves, even guessing at what Christ might have written in the scripture. We must take scripture as it is written and stop questioning it. And I thought, oh, that, that's just a Dr. total, total cop out Dr. there. Dr. McDermott at the end of the class was just looking at us, letting everybody argue what they thought. And at the end of the class, he goes, everybody feel better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Class dismissed. That's good. And of course, he had to do her. We want an answer. And he goes, hey, your done. life's going to stink for <laughs> <laughs> Okay, high probability. Let's, let's go here. Uh, he shames the accusers. They all drop away one at a time. When he says, he who has not sinned cast the first stone. Well, they're all thinking adultery, and they haven't committed adultery, so the young ones are grabbing rocks, and the older ones are thinking about grabbing rocks. And then he starts writing things in the dirt, and that stops. And he writes, embezzlement. He writes, bearing false witness. He writes, contemplating murder of rabbis. You know, <laughs> these are the ones we know about, you know. And so, uh, and he knows a big long list more. I think it's interesting that the old guys read the thing and disappeared fast because they didn't want to be here when people start going, why did he write embezzlement? Yes. Proper etiquette of stoning people? Yes. All this gets 
So if we said that everyone was to be oldest person and be ghost. I no, didn't know that person. one. Uh, Thank you. Right of first throw. Right of first throw. Something that comes to my mind is his characters, and I've never seen him shame anyone. So I don't know if, right? Like, he, what is he doing for this woman? Why would he turn around and, like, shame her? I don't, I don't think know. he's shaming them. I, I honestly think when you write stuff, when he was writing stuff, he didn't call people out, so he didn't name them. He let them save face, but he does He does sort of go, oh, let he those who are without sin cast the first stone. So he starts writing things just then like sins in the sand and people's own consciences are being pricked by oh because because I, I agree with you that I don't believe there's a difference between guilt and shame and shame makes you feel bad for who you are yeah he's got a whole lecture and guilt yeah. is about what you've done I, got my <laughs> <laughs> I mean so I've never seen I mean, God actually shame I'm wondering if the woman is ashamed because I'm wondering if she's standing there just like they caught her with, you know, nothing on. I don't think he's shaming, uh, hold on, I, I don't think he's shaming her. I think he's shaming them. And maybe it's a semantic issue. He is calling them out on their sins. At least this is my speculation of what's happening. Fair. I think that's fair. There's a difference between calling out actions that are sins and allowing our own consciences to go, oh, oh, that's me. To see ourselves in that, to see our sin reflected in what's on that, and and our own conscience to then respond. Could it be that he did it like even with compassion? I just want to point out his character because he's not like hateful towards. He's not like you, this person. Well, you know, like I just I think it's important to call out his character, and maybe he did it like with some. This is a pretty heated exchange. Maybe he did it with some compassion for them too. Fair. Well, but you can be heated and still be loving. At the same time, you know, like he, you can call somebody out and still be angry that what they're doing is harming somebody else. Mr. Kenny has a call. Okay, Kenny, I'm doing okay. my best to hand the mic this we, way. We okay. act like that Jesus is not the Father, but yet the Father, he did judgments in the Old Testament. It's just, he's just not bringing fire and brimstone. Jesus is limited to what. He can do in his earthly body, so he's still casting judgment like he's the father. Them. He's guilty. Yeah, so he's still doing the role of the father, even as a son. God as judge is sad about the judgment. Well, that's, I'm not saying yeah. that, but he's not Zeus, right? <laughs> I'm not saying guilt that. versus shame. Let's get a reminder of guilt versus shame. So yeah. guilt versus shame. It's Guilt from the Holy Spirit says you did something wrong. We can fix it. Shame says from the devil. You he says wrong. you are wrong as a person. There's no yeah. hope. We're supposed to feel guilt. guilt I is apologize. Good. He was guilting them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start using that word regularly. I mean, I guess it's semantic, but it's an important You guilted me. But it's yeah. an important distinction because I think that we have too much shaming going on in the body of Christ as opposed to That's conviction. Fair. And okay. So I, I feel very guilty for, for bringing on this whole... Can I play, can I play the devil's advocate a little bit? Don't you usually? Don't you usually? <laughs> I, like, I like to throw a grenade. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. We will get back to you in a minute, Bill. Okay. Okay. Devil's advocate first. Go. Jesus, fully human but fully man. But he never he sinned. Didn't. I didn't say he sinned. But he didn't care for these Pharisees. He got his passion up when religious people took advantage. 
of sinners, new believers, and such. Technically, we've talked about this last time. What he did in the temple, he was mad. Now, I remember we talked about it. We disagreed on this, but I'm sorry. That was not Christian decor that he had in the temple. Right. Our, our, our idea right. of Christian, our version of it, our pharisaical rules that we've added onto what is and is not appropriate behavior, it doesn't Pretty fit. Right. Jesus, why can't we say Jesus? We're allowed yeah. to be angry. Yeah. I think he was angry Old about Testament, what was New happening, Testament but also and like still the same. not wanting any Jesus one of them to shows us. Through, through the stuff like in the temple. Sorry, but when you call people a new generation of vipers, you're not playing gentle. That was a very bad insult in Jewish culture. He was basically, he was this close to cussing them out. That was considered well, they're, a they're trying to arrest him. They're pretty upset. Okay, Bill, uh, you need to be more forceful with this crowd. It's okay. Just butt right in. Mine has okay, read your verse. Mine has a footnote beside it. It says, Christ is the defender of the weak. That's a footnote next to where he helped the woman that, yeah. and caught an adultery. He's standing up for it. Yeah. What he was doing in the temple, he was really pissed off that people were being taken advantage of. And so he, as an advocate, he stood in their place against those who were doing that harm and was very forcefully, this is the boundary. Do not cross it. And I think he saw all of them as equal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying when you call someone your gener generation of vipers and said, you know what? You guys are this way, but you know what's even worse? You're raising a whole new generation of them that's even worse than you. He's like... He's hitting them between the eyes, and he don't care who he takes prisoner here. See, but we know that Christ loved all because he wouldn't exactly. even have brought that up in the first place. And he was trying to make them aware of their sin. But at the same time, because of their sin, he knows all. He knows everything. He knows the beginning, the middle, and tomorrow. I love my I love it. Trying to turn from it. So in per se, not only was he trying to bring awareness to the Pharisees, but also the crowd and what mm -hmm. the people were doing. I agree 100%. So that's kind of, you know, so we know Christ did love. It says, for God loved the world.
mean, and, I mean, we're, I think we're all in agreement. We're talking some answers. Yeah, because, I, mean, I mean, to be quite honest, I spanked my kids and I was angry at the time. Now, I didn't, didn't spank them to satisfy that's myself. Right. That's where it goes wrong. I mean, it's hard to say, you know what, I don't, I'm not angry at you right now. I mean, it's because something, they've done something. Anger is not necessarily bad, though. Violence done in anger is not satisfied. Violence, anger. violence in anger, right? It says the anger in and of itself isn't wrong. It's what you do with it. It's the violence that comes after it that is unacceptable. But just just because God, Jesus turned over the tables and was like, right? Like that doesn't mean he was actually committing violence against anybody. It was aggressive. It was a very clear boundary. And we got to remember what scripture also says about God. Thank you. I told you I could throw a grenade in the this. world. <laughs> <laughs> they fell for it. <laughs> I will debate that until the kingdom come because I think that we can I, see I, that. I think that God's <laughs> character is important. It's absolutely important because if you don't, if you don't trust God's character as good and loving and all of those things, then then we have a tendency to stay away from God rather than go towards God. So I think I'm like the God we I'll round this up with that scripture. Sin, be, be angry and sin not. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Here we are to walk in Christ's image and give us a perfect example through the fruits of the Spirit and how we ought to be as believers. But we also got to remember as believers that our God is a just, righteous Lord and he will judge the Lord according to, you know, in the book of Revelations, it says, The wrath of the Lord will fall upon the earth with. The Lord is angry with the wicked in the world, and it, and it goes into detail. And I'm in the book of Isaiah, where it even goes into more detail about how this is going to take place and why it's going to happen. And just you know, just throwing that out there, you know. So our Lord is an angry God. You know, He does have anger. He's a jealous God. You know, He's a righteous God. You know, but He is full of love. You know, so I just want to throw that out there. at least one or two occasions to keep God from wiping out every Israelite. I mean, you know, Moses had to stand between himself, he had to put himself between God and, and because God said, step out of the way, I'm going to wipe these people out and I'll make a new generation out of you. discourse between Christ and the Pharisees which is going to take us a while to unpack because there is a lot in there. Boy, this is a warm-up in this little thing. Okay. Um, and it gets progressively more intense in the language and in the heat of it. And at the end of it, uh, 
Christ literally has to slip out before the Pharisees who just said that it's illegal to stone him are picking up rocks. So who cares about the Romans? We're going to stone you in the middle of the temple now. They were that angry. So, you know, I, I, it was about to break into violence when Christ left. Uh, I think he pushed their buttons, all of them, you know. And it gets more intense as he goes. Uh, and we have barely enough time. Well, we don't. Get faster now that we're leaving. Huh? You think so? Okay. Um, I'm going to read the first section, and we are not going to get through it, and we will pick up this first section next time. Does that work? Okay. Bye. Bye. Verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that, by the way, mirrors John 1, where he starts off with uh, describing Christ as the light. And it also has precedence in Old Testament because in Daniel, the Messiah is referred to as the light. And the Pharisees would have recognized that. So when Christ says, I am the light of the world, what he is saying to the studied Pharisees in studied theological language is, I'm the Messiah. And that's specifically what that says. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness and your testimony is not valid. Because in their culture, when a Pharisee teaches, he never speaks for God because they're not God. And anytime they make a statement, an emphatic statement, they have to back it up with what somebody else said or some kind of history or, or, or give it some kind of reference. They have to footnote everything. And you, you're exploding yet. No. No? Yo, really? Oh, okay. I, th I thought you were biting your tongue. Uh, no, okay. you can see my tongue biting. Okay, okay. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. Uh, but you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. So he's depending on the God to be his reference. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. If he spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put, but no one seized him because his time had not yet come, which means they were thinking about grabbing him. Uh, once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where do I go? You cannot come. But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that, I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked like they haven't heard anything you said so far. 
Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, and he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing in my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. So he is converting the masses in the temple as he's speaking, and he is irritating the Pharisees. Uh, one little note. When he says lifted up, the son of man the term he used in greek is referring is usually referred to uh holding up for um esteem like you're 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 exalting yes thank you that was the word i was trying to get to it means to exalt and but but it also has a double meaning of his crucifixion because he's going to be lifted up on the cross. But the word he uses is exalted, which actually adds more con context to it. Uh, so he is basically walking around teaching and the, the Pharisees are progressively challenging him more and more because he keeps referring to himself as the Son of Man and the, the Messiah. And they don't like the fact that he's claiming to be the Messiah. Okay, and with that, we are absolutely out of time. We will pick it up at verse 12 next time. I'll read this again, and we will dig in even deeper. Uh, and if you guys want to read ahead and uh, prepare your arguments before time, and, and by the way, if, if there's a lot of people talking, just butt right in. That's, that's the plan, Bill. Don't, don't, don't wait for me to hand you the microphone. It may not happen. Well, I, I try to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that, I'm signing off. Goodbye, Pastor. I hope you found something in this you can use.